All right, let's pray. Almighty Father, uh, so thankful to you for the blessing that you give us every day, including on your day, Lord, today. Um, thank you so much for the men that stand for truth in their families, Lord, the fathers that you've given to the church. And we pray that you give, continue to give us men with backbone and that would stand for righteousness and that would not cower in the face of these wicked attacks the enemy has in store, Lord. Help us to stand for truth. Give us uh, the, the things that we need, Lord, through your word and through your Holy Spirit to um, do these things, Lord. And I pray that you continue to grow our church with men like this, fathers like this, um, single men, young men, whatever, Lord. I pray that you continue to grow uh, your, your, your bride with men that will stand for truth and men, men that won't um, um, buckle under the pressure of uh, these things that are in the world that are prevalent right now. And um, I just thank you so much, Lord, for your word. I pray that you give my brother today um, a special blessing to preach your word and for us to... Um, uh, hear it and to apply it to our lives. Lord, we're thankful and grateful to you for this place. Pray that you continue to protect it and guide us in your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Would please uh, turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 15. We're only covering three verses, so don't get to... <laughs> John chapter 15. Verses 1 through 3. John chapter 15, verses 1 through uh, 3 is what we're going to be covering, but I'll read it down uh, to verse 8, through, through the end of verse 8. Uh, this chapter, you know, when, when a person first comes to the doctrines of grace or the five points of Calvinism, and uh, you, you're so happy, you're so excited, God is sovereign, He saved me, He keeps me, He holds me, and then you read John 15 and you're thinking to yourself, what is going on here? I thought, you know, <laughs> I thought I couldn't lose what I had. And now Jesus is saying that the Father, He, he cuts off those who are him who don't bear fruit. So, what is going on here? And um, we're going to take some time uh, to think about that. This section, though, primarily, now I'll read the text after I say this, this section focuses really on union and communion with uh, Christ, with God, and uh, what, what Jesus is doing at the very beginning here. He is really, he's setting the limits and the categories for those who have fellowship in Christ. So let's take a look at the passage here. So if I had to name this chapter something, you know, in my Bible it says the true vine. I think that's correct, but it's more expansive really. This is union and communion with the true vine or with God and his son, uh, something to that effect. Let me read the passage. John chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. Hear the word of God. I am the true vine. That's important. That he says, the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. I like husbandman better than vine dresser. Every branch in me and that's a trick, right? Right there. You read that. In me, union. Immediately. It's union with Christ that comes to mind. But take heart. 
branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now he's going to switch subjects. The, the rest of these verses now focus on abiding in Christ. And look at how many times these, this comes up. That's going to be what we cover next week. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. Amen. Amen. And now, the image. That's what we're looking at, but our focus really is going to be on, this, on the image. And what it communicates is the vital, or essential, or vital, and another way of saying that. I like the word vital, but, uh, but maybe it doesn't communicate all that I'm trying to say, so a, a vital, your vital organs are essential, right? If you lose one of your vital organs, you can't live. Brain, heart, so on. So what I mean by vital is essential, but, but, but also um, I kind of mean vitality too. And vitality is strength and vigor. So maybe I mean both of those. There's nuance, a little overlap between those definitions, but this is really, the, the imagery communicates the vital relationship that must exist between God and his people. That's it. There is a vital relationship that, is, that exists. It is essential, and it is life-giving. And if you do not have that relationship to God, you are not his, and you will not bear fruit. So, you have the vine, the husbandman, and the branches. There are two types of branches. So let's, let's take a look here at um, how Jesus says this. Of course, he just finished his uh, answering the disciples' questions. You had all of that back and forth that they were going with. And he says, let us go from here. So as they're walking, Jesus is continuing to talk to his disciples. And he says to them, I am the vine. Is that what he said? No, he says he's the true vine. Why would he say that? Well, because the imagery of a vine is not new in the Bible. It is a recurring theme, and that recurring theme is used to describe, or motif, or you can say metaphor, is used to describe the people of God. Throughout the Bible. So for example, um, I'll read maybe two texts and then um, I'll, I'll cite uh, several others. But look at Psalm 80 first. Psalm 80. So Jesus calls himself the true vine. That means that all other 
previous vines were not the true one. So in Psalm 80, uh, the psalmist is praying that God would restore the people. That's what his dis desire is. Uh, and I believe this is a, a psalm of Asaph. Uh, yeah, a testimony of Asaph. And beginning at verse uh, 7, listen to what Asaph, uh, he testifies. Restore us, O God of hosts. Cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. Um, another aside. This is an aside, but this is a magnificent way to pray. Right? That what, what, in essence, he's, he's asking for, of course, God will look down and he'll see the condition of his people and he'll have mercy on them. But uh, when Moses saw the face of God, what happened to Moses? He was transformed. And what he is saying is, let your face shine upon us, transform us by means of your glory. Glorify us, transform us, sanctify us, um, cause us to repent and believe. Verse 8. You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. Right? So he saw, the, he saw a field, as it were, and that field was the land of Canaan. And what did he do? He, he cultivated that land so that he could plant this vine. room for it and caused it to take deep root and filled the land. I don't, you know, I don't know anything about growing plants, really. Um, but I, I was talking to one of my sons. We were in, in New Jersey. I don't know, but we seeing Jessica's dad on Friday. And uh, we were by this bakery, the Cuban bakery. Was it this? Well, anyway, I was telling him this story. We were standing in front of a bakery across the street from it. And I told him, you know, when I was a kid, there was a fence that separated that bakery from the place next door. And um, you can see through the other side, it had like these green sl slots in it or whatever. And me and my friends were playing, I'm, I'm really little, five, seven, something like that. We're playing uh, hide and seek, we hop over the fence. And when I hopped over the fence, we noticed that there was this like, a, it was a vine growing on the side of the building huge vine. It covered the entire building. It was in the middle of summer, pretty hot, and there were grapes in New Jersey. In New York, of all places, New Jersey. And, I mean, there were broken bottles, you know, uh, in between these two buildings. It was just a disaster. But this uh, a vine, I mean, it just grew. So, they weren't huge grapes. Right? They were small, a little bitter, but we used to eat them by the tons. So, so bad they would upset our stomach and would be in the bathroom for several hours the next day. But, but um, <laughs> why, why do I bring that up? Yeah, not the bathroom part. But I bring that, 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 that is, um, the hills were covered with its shadow. Right? There was just so much, there, were, there used to be so much, so many grapes on this vine and nobody tended it. It wasn't like anybody was ever back there tending this thing. I don't know who may have planted it or how long it was there or if it's even there now. I, I wanted to hop the fence and check. <laughs> but um, uh, God cared for this plant. It, it, wasn't a it wasn't a wild branch once God brought it into his possession. He cultivated and cared for the nation of Israel. Uh, 
He did everything for the nation of Israel. He brought them through 40 years of wilderness wanderings to teach them that he would care for them in any situation and also to show them that he does not play with sin. But he provided for them. And then once he brings them into the land, I mean, he did, he truly did clear the land for them so that in the book of Joshua, it can say, Joshua can write, God had fulfilled all of his promises to Israel. He cared for this plant. The hills were covered with its shadow and the mighty cedars with its bows. She sent out her bows to the sea and her branches to the river, the Euphrates. Why have you broken down her hedges so that all who pass by the way pluck her fruit? The boar out of the woods uproots it and the wild beasts of the field devour it. Return, we beseech you, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see and visit this vine and the vineyard which your right hand has planted and the branch that you made strong for yourself. It is burned with fire. It is cut down. They perish at the rebuke of your countenance. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man whom you made strong for yourself. Then we will not turn back from you. Revive us and we will call upon your name. Amen. Let's see. What, what happened to the vine? God brings it into the land. He plants it and what does it do? As it says in Isaiah, rotten grapes. That's all he got. He got rotten grapes. So the imagery of the vine is a picture or an image of the people of God, and particularly now, it is a picture and an image of the communion and the union that exists between God and His people. Because the, the, the fruit is not grown by the branch. This is what I mean. If you clip, if the, you know, you, you get a branch, you clip it off a tree, and you throw it on the floor. Is it going to produce fruit? No, it must be united to the vine so that the sap inside the vine can get into those branches and that sap produces the fruit. So you have this picture. And when the vine does not do that, what does God do? He destroys it. He judges it. When the vine is fruitless. Isaiah 5. I won't read all the passages, but Isaiah 5, same truth is communicated. Jeremiah 2, Ezekiel 19, and even in Romans 11, Paul brings up the metaphor of, of the vine. And in, uh, if you have the time to read that, um, uh, there, of course, the vine is clearly Christ. And branches are broken off, and a wild olive tree is grafted into that vine. And that is, of course, Gentiles who are grafted into that vine. So what, what, what is the point of all this, this exercise? Um, I, I could go to greater lengths, but I think it's very easy. The truth that Jesus is communicating is this, is that God's purposes for the nation of Israel was so that the nation would be his son. And so that that nation would be an obedient son. Also, so that, also that that nation would be an obedient son. 
and magnify the glory of God not only in Canaan, but throughout the entire world. That was the purpose of that nation. And they failed. Now, um, you know, it's not that Jesus is plan B because, um, uh, I'm not going to go into this a lot, but the nation of Israel is a microcosm for the Garden of Eden. So, the vine. Christ is the true Israel of God. He is the source of all growth and glory to the praise of God. That's what Jesus is. Okay. Then, the vine dresser. And what does the vine... So, of course, the Father is the vine dresser. Jesus tells us very clearly. Look at John. Uh, John 15. My father is the vine dresser. He's the husbandman. This is amazing. Because the husbandman is the one who, who, who works on the vine. He's watchful. He's, he's constantly watching his vines. And what he's doing is he's, he's inspecting the vine for any sucker branches. Any branches that are coming off of that vine and not producing fruit, the Father is cutting those off and He's tossing them away. So, in God's house, God is busy about judgment. He is. God purges. He destroys, literally. Listen to uh, verse 2 here. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And that, and that word for take away means to destroy. It's a figure of, you know, it's a figure of speech. It's a euphem, not a euphemism. Innuendo, maybe. Some, uh, I can't remember what it is, but uh, let me read you a text and you'll see what I'm saying. Um, in... Um, in John, chapter, chapter 11, verse 48, Jesus says, If we let, uh, uh, excuse me, this is the Jewish leader speaking. They say, If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe him. And the Romans will come and destroy or take away both our place and our nation. They will come and destroy it. And that's eventually what, what happened to the nation. So that's what the Father does. The Father, He is watching. And what He does is He takes these branches that are fruitless, He breaks them off, and He destroys them. As it says later, they are gathered together, and they are thrown into the fire. And it is every branch. In light of what Jesus has already taught in the Gospel of John, Can you lose your salvation? Is that, is that what he's talking about? Is he talking about losing what you have? Let's look at what Jesus has taught so far in the Gospel of John. At John 6. Or you can hear these. I'll read them fast. John 6, 37. Because this is, this is a very strong language. And particularly since the language of union is used... It can be difficult. But look at 6.37. Look at what Jesus says. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. 
So if you come to Christ, if, you, if you've been called by the Father and you come to the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus will never cast you out. Okay? Look at 9.39. John 9.39. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I wrote down the wrong address there, so look at 10.27. <laughs> my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me verse 28 and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand John 10 27 through um, 28 now, look now 29 my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So, if, if you want to look for consistency, right, then Jesus could not be communicating in John chapter 15 that there are those who are in him, who the Father gives him, who will be fruitless, and therefore they will lose their salvation. That just doesn't make sense. The issue is that Jesus is not using the language, that in language, the way that Paul uses that language. This is really a warning, is what Jesus is giving to his disciples. Why do I say that? Well, we'll go back to the Father's work. But look at what he says in verse 3. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And now you're thinking to yourself, okay, clean? Where, where did that come from? What, what, does, what does he mean by this word, clean? So, uh, note with me the language in the passage. This language that he uses. He says, Every branch in me that the Father that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. The Father takes it away. Literally, he destroys it. He he destroys the branch. And uh, the word okay. This Greek word is related to the next Greek word. I don't have to tell you all the, you know the how to say the word. Not necessarily helpful. But this Greek word is related uh, well, I'll say it so you can hear it. How about that? And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So there's a purpose for the pruning, right? So some, uh, you, you, you may visit somebody's house and they have just this really full apple tree on a weekend. And maybe you grab a couple apples and they don't taste so great. And then you come back and the thing is bare. It looks bare almost. And, but the apples look bigger. And they taste a lot better. That's what the work of pruning does. 
So this is what the Father does. And I don't think we have to press the, the illustration too much. And how, uh, what exactly is the pruning? Is it, well, it's, it's, it's God's care for us and is, it, is His chastisement. Basically what he's talking about is God caring for His people and doing those things that are essential for them to bear fruit in their lives. But here's where this word for um, clean. I'll, I'll read the, the words for you. Take, so, take away is I ray. I ray. I ray is how you say the word. And prunes is kathare. Kathare. This is, it's the same root word, which is this word for destroying or taking away. When you add that little kath to it, kathare, um, catharsis, that's one word. One word we get from this Greek word is catharsis. It's catharsis and cauterize. What, what, is it? What, what do you do when you cauterize something? Well, you cut it, but you burn it when you cut it. And the reason you burn it when you cut it off is for the sake of the, the health of the... So, let's say, uh, I don't know what they do to gangrene arms, but for the sake of illustration, my arm is gangrened. They cauterize it at the elbow for the, to save my body because the gangrene will spread. And if you have a tree full of sucker branches, is it going to produce fruit? It's going to be really bad if it does. Small and bitter. So this, this work that the Father does is a work of cleansing. To cauterize is also to cleanse. So now when he says this word, and you are already kathai roy, clean. He's using it just to play on words. He's saying to those who are standing there in front of him, the 11, you've already been pruned. You've been cleaned. The, the, the warning is not that you will lose what you have, but that there are going to be those among you who are clean. John, so, so now you turn, and that sounds familiar, when he says, but you are already clean. Had, hasn't he just said that in the same context? Yeah, when he was washing their feet. In John chapter 13, when he is, he's talking to Peter, he says, uh, turn there with me. Verse 10. 10, 13. Jesus said to him, to Peter, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. But it's completely clean. And you are clean. But not all of you. Why? Because Judas was there. But now he says to them, because Judas is gone, you're clean. You're clean. There, there is, so this is very similar. This, it's, it's a real warning. If a person says, I'm united to Christ, but the, the, so the category here is not elected to be a member of the church, but not regenerated. That's not... Uh, yeah, you could speak that way, right? We're, we're, you know, uh, the Biden was elected to office, but he wasn't elected to be converted, right? By God, I mean, not by votes. God put him in that office. 
So when so uh, I, I, why would I say something like that? Well, my point in saying that is this: is that yes, in God's providential uh, dealings with men, unconverted people have been predestined to join the church. But those unconverted people in no way share in any of the blessings and benefits of Christ. Essentially, or vitally, they can this way. I love the way that the author to the book of Hebrews, when he's giving his strong warnings, uh, and that, the, the, this warning that I'm going to look at in Hebrews is, um, is very similar to... Um, here it is. Um, oh, yes. It's, uh, yeah. It's uh, chapter 6. And uh, I'm going to read from verse 4. This is another one of those texts that people come to, right? You're a Calvinist. You're so happy. God saves me. I can't lose my salvation. You read Hebrews 6. Verses 4 and following, and you're like, Paul, why? <laughs> for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the power of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. And then he gives this illustration in verses 7 and 8, two illustrations. But now look at what he says in verse 9, though. And this is what, what people miss. But, beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. Though we speak in this manner. I'm confident of better things. But why do we give the warning? Because there are people who are sitting in the church, they're not Christian people. And they think, well, I'm here, I'm, I'm on the vine. Right? Not for, but at least I'm holding on. No, no. There, there is, if there is no fruit, and we'll, we'll talk about what fruit is, and, but if there is no fruit in your life, there's no evidence that you're a Christian. And, and, and the fruit is not, um, um, it, it, the, the fruit is not always quantitative, like number of things, like I, I can count, right? Because the, the fruit that the Spirit works in the life of the believer is internal. It's an internal transformation. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. That is the fruit of the Spirit. That is what the Spirit is producing. Do you love God? Do you love the people of God appropriately? And then do you love the lost? The, the, the affections are transformed and changed. It's so easy to say fruit, fruit is I tithe 10%. My fruit is I go to church on Sunday. My fruit is I, I, I do stuff. That's my fruit. Now, it could be. Absolutely. Gathering together to worship God, that could be motivated by, by the fruit of the Spirit. But love for God, joy, peace, patience, right? It could, could be motivators to worship God, but not necessarily. God is in the business of transforming His people. So, 
So when um, Jesus makes this statement in John 15, verses 1 through 3, his point is not that those who are sitting there with him can lose what they have, but he's given them a warning. There will be those among you who do not have what you have. They, they have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are not saved, and they will be among you, and the Father will cauterize them. He will cut them off, and he will cast them away, and he will burn them with fire. He's talking about Judas. He's talking about Judas and many others. That, that is the point in this passage. You are already clean. And why? Because of the word that I spoke to you. And... Um, Let's, let's, let's consider this. What, what, what is the word? Well, listen to how he says it in the Gospel of John. One of the best places to go um, when you're trying to find out what an author means is go to his book and read it. So John 8.43. Jesus says to the Pharisees, Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. And he doesn't mean hear. He means receive his word. To receive it, respond to it accordingly. That's why they don't believe. So for, uh, when Jesus says in John 15, verse 3, you're already because of the word which I have spoken to you. That word, first and foremost, is believed. And that's our responsibility. As disciples, we must believe the word of God. That is how God cleanses his people. That's exactly what Paul says in Ephesians 5.26. What does he say? That he might wash her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. The way that the Lord cleanses his people is by means of his word. So we must believe it because it is what he uses to cleanse us. 425. Um, excuse me, no. Now look at, uh, it's 1717 and then 1719. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And the idea, right, of, of, of sanctification is a cleansing, it's a purging. The, the words that he's using here for cut, prune, and clean are related to this word. So that's the concept. That's what he's talking about. He's, he's pruning this vine. What's he doing? He's sanctifying it. Why? So that it can produce more fruit to God. And that is exactly what the word of God does in the people of God. It sanctifies them. It purifies them. Verse 19, And for their sake I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. And then John, uh, Psalm, so, so what do you do? How, do, how, are you, how can we be sanctified by the word? Read it, memorize it, meditate upon it, study it, talk to other people about it. How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? With my whole heart I have sought you. Let me not, I think he says, wander from your commandments. That needs to be the heart and the disposition of God's people. And Christ is the one who by, you see, so we come to the word. I, I come to the word. I read the word. I pray over the word. I memorize it. I meditate upon it. And as I'm doing that, Christ is cleansing my soul. 
He purifies the soul. He purifies the mind. He strengthens. He encourages. And He produces those fruits that are necessary for us to glorify His Father. So brothers and sisters, in light of these things, let us hold fast to Christ. Let us pray that the Father would continue to prune, to, to, uh, to cauterize those sucker branches from His church that we might produce fruit that is pleasing to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, of course, for your word, and we thank you for our Lord Christ, Lord Jesus. What a blessing it is to read your words and the instruction that you left for us. We ask now that by your Spirit you would help us to believe these things, that you would use them, Lord God, to sanctify and to purify us and may you help us to communicate these things to others, that they may, might be drawn to your Son. In his name we pray. Amen.